we'll probably be doing some profits for our, our um, for our character studies. But what I want to look at today is really the situation at the beginning of 1 Samuel. So we'll be spending most of our time at the beginning of 1 Samuel, if you want to turn there. A few weeks ago, we did spend some time studying Hannah as one of our character studies. And Hannah, obviously, uh, is, is really an integral character at the beginning of uh, 1 Samuel, really the first couple of chapters. But we're really going to spend, we're really going to start in chapter 3 uh, once Samuel has been left and is starting, is starting to grow. But one of the things that I think it's really important to understand is that this is an extended time of Judges, right? So during the book of Judges, there have been this cycle, and we're going to look at that cycle. There's a drawing for you to fill out and some things for you to fill out. There's been a cycle in the book of Judges of connection with God and then falling away with God and how God uh, deals with that. Okay, And and again, we'll deal with that. But look at 1 Samuel 3, verse 1. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. Now, we think of precious as, uh, oh, isn't that sweet? But precious in this context really has to do with it wasn't occurring a lot, right? So it became very precious, much like gold is precious, a precious metal. It's because I can't walk out on the street and find gold laying on the street. If I do, that's a big deal. It's precious metal. So the word of the Lord was precious. So I don't really want to call it scarce, but it's kind of that approach. In those days, there was no open vision. So God was not proactively communicating. He was not proactively um, talking to everyone the way he had been and the way he would at other points in time. But we see this extended time of Judges. If you jump over to chapter, and we'll be going back and forth a little bit. So you're going to have a, a few pages back and forth. And this is maybe where the paper Bible might actually be a little more uh, convenient than an app. But um, And it came to pass, uh, 418, when he made mention of the ark of God that he fell uh, off from the seat backward, Eli, and by the side of the gate, and he his neck break and he died. This is obviously Eli in the description of that, and we'll talk a little bit more. For he was an old man and heavy, and he had judged Israel 40 years. So Eli is actually considered one of the last judges. Right? He's not over in the book of Judges, but as we enter 1 Samuel, prior to the time of kings, and I don't mean the books of the kings, although there's some alignment there, prior to the time of David as the first king of Israel, the, the, Israel was still being uh, ruled or overseen by judges. Eli was considered a judge. So the question becomes, and you'll see it on your, on your page, was Samuel a judge or a prophet. So I asked my wife this last night. She pops down on the couch next to me because I'm working on my lesson watching the, the Raiders lose. Um, and But it was an interesting game if anybody would stay up to watch it. So, um, And I, qu- I said, quick, was Samuel a judge or a prophet? And she thought and she went back and forth in her mind. At least I think back and forth in her mind. And I think you finally said judge if I, if I remember right. But both, right. But by definition, he was both a judge and a prophet. So we see this kind of interesting transition. So when we look at 
the the cycle, and you don't have to write all of these right now because we're going to look at each one of them, but there's a fall into idolatry by the nation, okay? They fall into idolatry. Then there's judgment via a foreign oppression. Again, we're, this slide's going to be up for a long time, so don't feel like you got to hurry through it. Judgment via foreign oppression. The Israelites cry to God. God sends a judge. The judge delivers them. The judge is over them for some period of time, and then they fall back into idolatry. This is literally the cycle that you see in the book of Judges, the book that precedes 1 Samuel. Okay, So, there, so Eli is part of this, but, but what I want to spend some time on today is how Samuel changes this. Okay, How Samuel changes this. So the fall into idolatry... These are your verses that are on your page. The lamp of God, 1 Samuel 3, 3, we already touched on a little bit, uh, the beginning, right, the, in, in 3, 1. But notice in verse 3, 3, And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep. Literally, they're not tending to the things that they need to tend to. The lamp of God was going out. There was this concept, there was this, overarching and increasing darkness of idolatry in the nation. <clears throat> Look at all the way down in 1 Samuel. And again, we're going to put all those slides up here. So if you don't get all the words right at the minute, that's cool. 1 Samuel 3.13 For I have told him that I will judge his house forever. So God is talking to Samuel for the iniquity which he knoweth. Because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. The judge, the guy that's supposed to be taking care of the house of God, his kids are vile. He knows it and doesn't deal with it. Boys will be boys, huh? Well, eh. people, people explain away the actions of the those who they have responsibility for, in this case his kids, all the time. All the time. So unfortunately, the nation of Israel at this point is being led by a guy who doesn't necessarily take these things too seriously. We saw just a moment ago that when he dies, he was an old man and heavy. He was probably pretty... Uh, overweight, and when he falls backwards on his neck, he breaks his neck and dies. Literally, and I don't want to, you know, I'm not, it is what it is. My biological grandfather died the exact same way. So he was leaning back in a chair, fell over, broke his neck. Now he made it to the hospital. They tried to stabilize him, and through complications of the surgery, ended up passing away. But he was an old man, certainly not, you know, uh, thin. You know, and but but Eli has not been tending to the things that he needed to take take care of, right? He became lazy, spiritually lazy, and I would argue spiritual laziness is a really good condition to fall into idolatry. Okay, so so we see that there's not this general tending to spiritual things. I don't have to tell you that I'm going to be describing the country and the times we live in right now. Just by the way, you will see parallels. It's exactly the same thing. Okay? The next, judgment via a foreign oppression in 1 Samuel 4.10, 1 Samuel 4.10 and 11. 
It says, And the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten, and they fled every man to into his tent, because evidently tents will protect you from an enemy. Uh, and there was very great slaughter. I wonder why. Because they put their head in the sand like an ostrich, I guess. I don't know. And there was a very great slaughter for there fell of Israel 30,000 footmen. And the ark of God was taken and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were slain. Right? So there's judgment that God sends in the form of a foreign power. Okay? And he does this all in the book of Judges, repeatedly. And he's doing it at the beginning of 1 Samuel. Okay? You guys with me? The ark of God's taken. Then the Israelites cry to God. Now, some of these verses might seem a little, so far they're going in order. When we get over to here, they're not going to see in order because we actually see that God was preparing Samuel before this. But in 1 Samuel 7, so you need to jump over to 1 Samuel 7, in verse 2, in verse 2, um, and... Yeah, and it came to pass while the ark abode in Kirjath-Jerim that the time was long, for it was 20 years, and all the house of Israel, look at this, lamented after the Lord, right? They lamented after the Lord. Jumping down into verse 4, then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth and served the Lord only. So they start to cry out to God. They realize this oppression from this foreign entity is now a problem for them. So who can deliver them? God can deliver them. He's done it before. He'll do it again. And we we see this. Now, this is the part where I, where I was getting to. We're going to jump back to 1 Samuel 3 because God was preparing Samuel for this time. So God had sent in the book of Judges. He sends the judge when the problem exists, basically. Here, he has been preparing Samuel. He's been preparing Samuel. So look at three, uh, chapter 3 and verse 15. And Samuel lay, into, uh, lay until the morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord. And Samuel feared to show Eli the vision, right? So this is when he has his dream and he's a little concerned about taking, or the, not dream, uh, connection with the Lord, his, uh, the word from the Lord after he was sleeping. And he's going to have to go tell, Sam, uh, to tell Eli that bad things are going to happen to his family. So he's a little concerned about this. But notice, he opens the doors of the house, uh, of, the house of the Lord. Jump down into verse 19. And Samuel grew... And the Lord was with him. I mean, honestly, as far as I'm concerned, you could have put a period there because if the Lord's with you, that's enough. But look, and did not, uh, and and did let none of his words fall to the ground. So the words that God gave Samuel mattered to Samuel. They mattered. He didn't want them to just fall by the wayside. He he wanted to deliver them as they needed to be delivered. And in 21, And the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh. How? By the word of the Lord. So we're seeing a little bit of a change here. The judges that we saw in, in the book of Judges... We, that we've talked, you know, Brandon spoke, I've, I've touched on them, right? These judges that, ha, that we saw out of the book of Judges, they had a lot of character flaws. And in many cases, they kind of fell into their judge role. This is a little bit different because Samuel is being prepared. He's being developed. He's being 
invested in by God because things are about to change. So by definition, yes, he's a judge, but he's also being called to be a prophet. And here's where there's an exit ramp. God, he does, God does um, use Samuel as a judge to deliver them. Look in, in verse 20. And all Israel from Dan even to Beersheba knew that Samuel was established to be what? A prophet of the Lord. The words of scripture are very important. Sam talked about this this morning with the kingdom of God versus the kingdom of heaven. Those are not synonymous. If they were synonymous, they would be spelled the same. But God and heaven are two different things and they're spelled with different letters. I know it's a, it's a pretty, pretty intellectual statement, isn't it? Right? So was he a judge? Yes. Was he a prophet? Yes. Okay? And so this is going to bring us to this. Did everybody get, like I said, the words were going to be up there long enough. Hope everybody got them. So judge or prophet? 1 Samuel seven fifteen to 17. And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And he went from year to year in circuit to Bethel, Gilgal, Mezpah, and judged Israel in all those places. And his return was to Ramah. For there was his house, and there he judged Israel, and there he built an altar unto the Lord. So we see a little later in the book of Samuel, in chapter 7, after uh, the things that we're really going to focus on, that he was a judge. That meant he went around and taught. He was discerning. He wasn't like Gideon or Barak or Samson, that the judging was deliverance per se. The judging was dealing with people, dealing with problems, working through issues, okay? And he went on these circuits because he wouldn't just go to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mezpah to fight. He would go to administer leadership, to develop people, to, 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 to speak the word of the Lord, right? Look at all the way in Acts 13 and verse 20. And after that, he gave unto them judges. This is a description of the nation of Israel history about the space of 450 years until Samuel the prophet. So literally Samuel bridges the gap from judges, the context of judges to the context of prophets and kings. So it's a pretty important transition that we're seeing here. Okay, so he's still living under some of the cyclical issues, the rules and the not the rules, the um, the evidence of what we saw in Judges. But he's also starting to live in a new way as a prophet. Okay, so we see in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, he's referred to as a prophet. That's very validating when you see something like that. Okay, so this brings us to our first relationship rule. Relationship rule number one, the role or title you play in others' lives is tied to what they need. It's tied to what they need. I am not husband to anyone else other than my wife. I'm friend, I'm minister, I'm brother, I'm brother-in-law, right? I, I'm, I'm teacher, I'm minister, but I, I can only play the role tied to what you need, okay? Now, if, if every, every, I mean, I put relationship rule, every rule breaks down, at least, in, at least 
my rules, the ones I've made up, because they're not inspired words, right? If you, if somebody could say, well, but I need a companion, well, then, you know, but that's breaking another rule, right? So that's not okay. That's crossing the line. So any of these relationship rules are within the context of other rules, right? So, but I can only be to you what you allow me to be or what you need me to be. I can't be to you anything else. And inversely, each other, you all can only be to me what I allow you to be. So there are some people I have been around who stand in places like this, teaching, having responsibility of weekly fellowship or weekly class, who keep themselves very distanced from from the people in their fellowship or the people that they have responsibility to. Sure, they'll they'll meet, they'll have coffee, they'll give you counsel out of the word of God, but they don't want a relationship. And that's tough. I can't do that. Like, if Sam, and he would never do this, but if Sam asked me to, to change the way I ministered to you all, it might be a deal breaker and I might have to give up my paycheck. I don't get a paycheck. Um, just for the record, y'all were like hanging on every word there. I don't get a paycheck. Like, <laughs> that's not how it works. So, <laughs> but if, if, if Sam came to me and said, you're getting too close to the people, to the little people. It's like, it's like again, Christmas vacation. It's the little people like you, Clark, that keep the business running, right? When the, when the boss comes in and the dog chain and... Right, are you with me, Cousin Eddie, right? And he says, it's little people like you, Clark. Well, it's not little, like, I can't operate like that. I literally cannot, and I'm not trying to like twist it and pat myself on the back, like that's, that isn't how it works. That's not how it works. Anything less than transparent relationships here is just not gonna work. It's just not gonna work. It might function, it might happen every week, it might happen for months on end, but it won't work. It won't biblically work. So the role you play in other people's lives, right? A friend must show themselves friendly, right? You can only do what people will allow. So the circumstances here are, are still very non-conventional. And the circumstances I'm referring to are the beginning of 1 Samuel, right? There was no king in the book of Judges, and everybody did that which was right in their own eyes because there was no rule. There, the, the laws were not structured very well, which is actually part of the reason why Samuel going around to different places and being judged and interacting with more and more people was so profound. That was really a big deal. But notice, so this is kind of a, kind of a chapter summary. After losing to the Philistines in battle... Right After losing the Philistines in battle, the Israelites bring the ark with them into the next battle. And they're routed, and the Philistines capture the ark and kill Eli's two sons. Eli and his daughter-in-law both die when they hear the disturbing news. God deals with the Philistines who have the ark in their possession for seven months. They're literally afflicted with hemorrhoids. I'll just stop there. Especially when there's no CVS, right? So the Philistine people beg their leader to, leaders to return the ark to the Israelites because they believe that the gods are coming down on them when in fact it's, it's judgment from an almighty God. 
the Philistines return the ark to the people of Beth Shemes, which is in and of itself is a great story with respect to the milk, uh, the the milk kind or the the cows that they put on the you know to pull the cart with the ark on it, and the cows should be home, so to speak, nursing their calves, but that through the divine direction of God they walk on a road and deliver the ark to the people of Beth Shemesh. After being punished by Yahweh for looking inside the ark, the people of Beth Shemesh asked the inhabitants of Kirjath-Jerim to remove the ark uh, from their midst. And the ark sits there at Kirjath-Jerim for 20 years. Now, the reason I, part of the reason I included this is that's a long time for Samuel to grow. That's a long time to develop. Does anybody know how long Paul spent Back in Tarsus? Three years, year and a half. Fourteen yeah. years. Fourteen years. Fourteen years. Before he was called called back. At least that's what the book of Galatians, if I'm not mistaken, refers to. So he 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 goes back and he learns how long was Moses in the in the wilderness or in the uh, the backside of the desert before he, he led? Forty years, right? So this is not like you don't win the lottery and just become the pastor. Right? You don't win the lottery and become the judge. Right? You have to develop into the... What's that take? It takes patience. We're not supposed to promote someone who's too young into ministry because they haven't learned the techniques of how to, to resist themselves or how to resist pride. I mean, one of, the, one, of the biggest, one of the biggest things we have to be careful with, I think, at Midtown is we develop leaders is making sure that they don't develop pride along with that. Like, the last time I checked, there is literally no good thing in Mitch Dobson. Nothing. And if somebody says, well, I like your style, I like your personality, I like your teaching style, then praise the Lord because that's where I got it. Like, I didn't, I haven't taken classes just to be a proper speaker. Like, it's just the experiences he's given me, the desire he's given me to, to communicate the Word of God. It takes time. It takes patience. And what, you know, so insert dad joke, right? You know what You know what carbon dating looks like, don't you? It's a piece of coal and a piece of diamond sitting at a dinner table. And the piece of coal looks at the diamond and says, this has taken a long time. And she says, well, I've been under a lot of pressure, right? So <laughs> carbon dating. See that carbon dating and carbon dating. It's like a play on words. You guys aren't coming back, are you? All right. It takes time. And if you're not willing to invest time, that's you're, you're already failing the first test. Okay? Time. It takes time. All right? So promoting the path. 1 Samuel 7, 3-4 says, And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If you do, re- if you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, um, I'll say with your whole heart, then put away the strange gods and Ashtoreth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord, and serve him only. So there are three requirements. Putting away the strange gods, preparing your hearts, and serving him. Right? And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Does anybody notice the fundamental difference between this judge and how he delivers out of the hands of the foreign oppressor? Oppressor? 
What did the judges do? They almost always reached for a sword. Samuel is changing the game. That's right. It's no longer a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle. So I praise the Lord for his tie of the message from Sam this morning because this is not one through the strength of the arm. Okay? It's one through the spiritual battle. He will deliver you out of the hands of the Philistines. Then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth and serve the Lord only. And yes, there's outward functionality to that. There's outward actions that need to follow along to the context of putting away Balaam and Ashtaroth and following the Lord. Like you do got to get up and you got to come to church. You do need to read your Bible. You do need to, like there's some physicalness associated with this spiritual battle like you can't just be perfectly immobile and say I'm going to serve the Lord like there is something to it right but it the primarily has to do with this heart it primarily has to do with the spirit right and that brings us to relationship rule number two biblical counsel plainly spoken those are your keywords is the key to a proper relationship. It's the key to any proper relationship. And I'll continue to use my family as the illustration. So I don't want to go to too much detail here because I don't know if you heard, but I have a podcast. <laughs> have you heard? I don't know if you heard. So they're going to, re- this is being recorded. It'll be out in the, in the internet and, and all that. But there was an individual that my son in, uh, realized was getting engaged. Okay, there was a, uh, an individual, and the relationship does not appear to be a biblical one. Okay, the rela- the relationship that, of this other individual, and so we had this interaction, and. I, you know, Michelle and I even talked about it on the way in. I probably could have handled it a little different. I probably could have said some things a little better. And I probably still need to go back and make sure some things are buttoned up. But what I couldn't say to my son is, well, that's no big deal. A non-biblical relationship. Yeah, it's okay if somebody marries a lost individual. I can't say that. Like, it literally goes against scripture. I can't say it. What I did say, and, you know, again, I'll be transparent is it he you know because he jokingly said well of course i would break up with a girl if you didn't like her i'm like yeah right like you're gonna do what you're gonna do right but with that being said i told him i said i would still like especially if he was going to marry this this quote make-believe unsaved gal i would still love her i would still care for her i would still welcome her into the family i'm not gonna despise them but i have to speak truth and that is the key in this example of a proper biblical relationship to my son as his father to the son i need to speak truth very plainly and if i failed in some way i need to make sure i button that up a little bit Plain, I am going to speak plainly to you. I expect you to speak plainly to me. I expect us to speak plainly to each other when it comes to biblical truth. Because it's not, it's not personal. It's not emotional. It's factual, right? So biblical counsel needs to be plain, needs to be understood. And that's the key to a proper relationship. 
So acknowledge, uh, acknowledgement or acknowledge and abasement. First Samuel 7, 5 and 6, says, and Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray for you unto the Lord. And they gathered together in Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said, this is the acknowledgement, we have sinned against the Lord. That is an actual key component in a salvation prayer as well. There's a lot of different catchphrases, but in order for somebody to get saved, they have to get lost. And what I mean by that is, if somebody doesn't understand their need for a savior, if they don't understand that they are a sinner, I would argue they probably didn't get saved. Because you have to understand that your sins separate you from God. And this is literally a, a parallel to that. This acknowledgement, we have sinned against the Lord and Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. He didn't pull out a sword and start whacking people like judges and judges. He didn't call fire down from heaven. He's ministering. He's pastoring. He's ministering to these people. Notice what happens when, and, and so this abasement is them pouring out, or drawing water and pouring it out before the Lord. They're, they're, they're making themselves low for the Lord. Look at 1 Samuel 12, jumping ahead. And this, I wish we had more time to go into this. I would encourage you to look at the, the passages. It's uh, about 20 to 25 here, uh, 1 Samuel 12, 20 to 25. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you the good and the right way. Literally, Samuel, kind of for the first time, the people are seeing this pastoral leadership. It's been many years since they've ever heard or since they, 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 they've not known a Moses type leader, right? They've not known a father figure, someone who pastors them. They've just been in a land of war and a cycle of idolatry and craziness and weird elections and blah, 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 right? But what, what Samuel says, God forbid that I shouldn't pray for you. That's like, that's literally, I'm going to sin if I don't lift you up. I'm going to sin. And that leads to this cry. Well, let me finish the thought. This passage here, this, this 20 through 25 that I was referring to, and I might be off a verse or two, is a really cool picture. It's a little mini synopsis of Samuel's uh, ministry style. It's like, it's like the same thing. It's like there's almost this new cycle in Samuel of cry out to God, Samuel or leader prays for them, and then they connect with the Lord as compared to this judge concept. It's really, really cool. I didn't, didn't obviously didn't take the time to, to bear all that out. In 1 Samuel 7, 9, or 7 through 9, uh, and when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel gathered to Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. What, what better time to attack, you know, to take them on when they're not in their home, Things are, you know, they're carrying stuff. Maybe they won't be as prepared as normal. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. Why? Because they ran into their tents last time and got killed, right? Um, and they were afraid of the Philistines. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, so we see a difference here. We see a difference. Cease not to cry unto the Lord for uh, our God for us. Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. 
this is a this again there's all these little indications in first in the first part of first samuel that things are changing that samuel is a judge but he's also a prophet and look at this and samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it for a burnt offering holy unto the lord and samuel cried unto the lord for israel and the lord heard him wow like, isn't that a great place to be when you cry unto the Lord and the Lord hears you? I mean, it's so cool. I really encourage you to think about, I mean, this this happens from time to time. I'm not going to say it happens every day. It certainly doesn't happen every week in the Dobson household. But we put petitions before the Lord and to see him work in ways that only he can work, it's kind of a big deal. And it certainly reinforces reinforces the faith. In James 5.16, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. And we like quoting the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. But why is that? Because they're praying for each other, not because they're praying for themselves. Right? That's when an effectual fervent prayer is the best, when I'm praying for you. Right? When I'm praying for you. Because then it's, I, I don't have my eyes on me. Right? I got my eyes on, on you and your best interest. So this brings us to re- relationship rule number three. Supplication, prayer for someone else, is literally the greatest thing you can do for your loved one. The person with whom you have this relationship. Familiar relationship, ministry relationship, supplication. Praying on their behalf is literally the best thing I can do. I would argue that it's even better than speaking the word of the Lord. We can debate that. But I think it's it's at least one of the greatest things you can do. Okay? So what did the Israel uh, the nation of Israel do? They asked Samuel, the guy who could get God's ear to pray for him, and he does. And the Lord hears. So that brings us to a stone and stillness. A stone and stillness. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and, and Shen and called the name of it Ebenezer. So here's the tide of Christmas, Ebenezer. Uh, saying, somebody caught that, right? Okay. <laughs> saying, hitherto hath the Lord helped us. Okay, hitherto hath the Lord helped us. That's literally what that, that word Ebenezer means. Uh, well, hither, hitherto, or up, yeah, the Lord hath helped us. Really, is because yeah, you know, at this time. So there's the. I meant to look up the hymn and I forgot it. Right here, I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by Thy help I've come. Help me. What? Come thou fount. Come thou fount. Thank you. I knew I'd, I knew I could rely on the music guy. Right. So like, if you've ever sung that and thought. Why are we singing about Scrooge? Because you don't know what an Ebenezer is. It literally was like a memorial. And we're doing that spiritually. We're raising our Ebenezer. We're lifting up the stone. I mean, literally, Samuel is better than those guys that, like, flip the tires, you know, at the, at the CrossFit gym. Like, he's literally setting up a stone. And he's lifting it up and he's saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. He's brought us to this point. Okay? And the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel. 
from Ekron even unto Gath and the coast thereof did Israel deliver out of the hands of the Philistines and there was peace between Israel and the Amorites when you when you do that when you put God in his right place acknowledge the work that he's done it is amazing how much peace comes into your life doesn't mean the trials or the tribulations stop it doesn't mean that but it's amazing how they end up with a perspective of it's not a war anymore there's peace there's peace and Jacob rose up early in the morning and took the stone that he had put for his pillows yikes and set it up for a pillar and poured oil upon the top of it there are you can look all through scripture there are people that will stand up stones that will build an, an altar not for a sacrifice altar but as a place of remembrance Joshua does it it's amazing the number of places. I am so looking forward to, I guess, flying through the Middle East with when I come back with Jesus, right? I mean, I'm coming back like on horse that flies, I feel like. So, and be like, hey, there's the stone of Samuel, the Ebenezer stone, we'll call it. There's Ebenezer stone, and we'll see all these things because I'm quite certain they've not disappeared. Now, they might have, they might be in somebody's, you know, backyard and they're, plants around it or something I don't know but God's I believe God's going to allow us to see these things uh, th there's all sorts of places and pillars that scripture says uh, you know again they were it was written a long time ago but they remain unto that day right so I'm looking forward to it and this brings us to our to our last relationship rule of the day and to our series make sure others know where the credit belongs Make sure others know where the credit belongs. Samuel does it right. <laughs> the dude has a horrible mentor. Like the dude has a horrible discipler in Eli. He's lazy. He's letting the fire go out. He doesn't even, didn't even invest in his own kids. Like he has a horrible, but what Samuel do? He rises above all of that and knows how to connect with the Lord doesn't maybe I didn't just see it but I don't think he ever pulls a sword out he fights a spiritual battle and when God wins he makes sure others know where the credit belongs because hitherto hath the Lord helped us and I this is an interesting interesting thing that I and I'll, honestly I don't know that I've ever ever I know I've read second chronicles 35 many times, but I don't know that I've ever realized this. First part of Second Chronicles 35, verse 18, and there was no Passover like to that kept in Israel from the days of Samuel the prophet. So in Second Chronicles, they're talking about a big Passover that happens, and they're saying it hadn't occurred like that since Samuel. Like, that's a big deal. There was no Passover like to that kept in Israel from the days of Samuel. After Samuel, nobody quite did it the same way. It's really interesting. I mean, Samuel left quite a legacy. He is both prophet and judge. And so, you know, I will take on those roles in your life to the extent that I can. I will proclaim the word of the, of the Lord when, when we're together, when uh, here collectively, or if, if we meet privately. I will try to function in that way. Uh, but more importantly, I need us to all do it to each other, right? 
that that development of this as a as a this class as an entity and in loving each other the right way scripturally um, can only be done by God. So I, I really, really encourage you to to buy into to what we're doing here. And and as we kind of finish this this uh, this series, and we look to development and we look to growth that we'll see in in Timothy's life, um, I just challenge you to just continue to take the journey. And and really, I, I challenge you that as we look at the nation of Israel acknowledging their sin confessing their sin and believing that God can deliver them that is literally the same message of, of the gospel it's literally the same message now it's a different dispensation Christ had clearly not died yet but today it's literally what we need to have a relationship with the Lord we need to acknowledge that we're a sinner we need to believe that he came to this earth and he died on the cross to save us from our sins and then we need to, to, to confess that in prayer excuse me, and to others. And if you've not ever made that decision, I'm going to ask you to just touch base with me after after class. And I want to make sure that we have a, a good understanding because that that is literally where it all starts. You can't develop into a Samuel until you've had that kind of relationship with the Lord. And you can't grow in your spiritual walk. You'll always be like this nation of Israel that keeps falling into sin and to, oh, God, save us. And then somebody comes along and helps and they and things are okay for a while. But Samuel is the example here. Samuel is the example. So I just pray that... Um, if you again, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, please I implore you touch base with me afterwards. Let's pray, Lord. We thank you for uh, the plainness of Samuel. We thank you for uh, the fact that his testimony was so strong uh, as really kind of the first, you know, prophet or at least at, at that phase. And and so, uh, you know, I, I thank you for for really making a change in the nation of Israel through Samuel and humble beginnings and a mother that wanted him to serve the Lord and 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 begged you begged you uh to have him and and you you set him uh in 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 time and in a place uh, where you saw fit and he wanted to hear you and he fought, wanted to follow you and as difficult as it was sometimes to do he continued to do it and he's a he's a, a great great example for us and so lord help us each to be good ministers to each other help us to understand each other's needs and speak plainly um, to fulfill the the relationship roles that we have so that we can all grow in our walk together Lord, we, we commend this time to you. We thank you for uh, the love that you have for us. It is truly amazing. And uh, thank you for uh, this ministry, and thank you for uh, just for, for teaching us today. Uh, we love you. We ask that you go with us uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great day. Don't forget.